Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going to be going over UFC Boston, which is headlined by Dominic Reyes versus Chris Weidman, making his first ever appearance at 205 pounds in the UFC and co-made by a fight that was actually the main event a couple weeks ago in Yair Rodriguez and Jeremy Stevens. Fight went like 15 or 20 seconds. I poke. We all know the hoopla that happened uh, and the fallout from that. But thankfully, we get to see them actually solve this puzzle uh, a couple weeks later. And I'm super happy that we're actually going to get to see it. We get two less rounds. But if you guys remember my breakdown from the last one, I don't think it's going to go the full distance regardless. So I think I'll be happy with three rounds anyway. And a little extra added heat due to the fallout of the eye poke and hotel bullshit and all that stuff that happened. Uh, so this week, uh, we are, it's a little bit of a weird week. This is the first time the UFC is having fights on a Friday, at least in the most recent memory from what I remember. Plus, I'm, uh, I just got back from a uh, mini vacation visiting the fiance's parents in the middle of Canada, but fuck nowhere. Uh, but I still want to get out the content to you guys ASAP. So you guys are getting no video this week. You guys are just getting the plain audio, um, wasn't able to make it out to the uh, Big Rob studio this week uh, just due to time restrictions and all that shit. I want to get this out to you guys ASAP uh, right now. Uh, I'm hoping that I can get out to you guys by Wednesday night at the latest, uh, just so you guys have at least, uh, you know, 36 to 48 ish hours to consume it and uh, hopefully help you out with any of the best that you decide to make. Um, so obviously there will be no casuals this week. I don't have my man Big Rob. Uh, it's just me sitting alone in my own little office area at my place. Uh, so the sound may not the be, be the best. I'm just recording it off of one of my fucking Dre Beats uh, headphones. Uh, but it should do and it should suffice and it should help you guys out regardless. So as we always do, uh, let's go over the last event real quick before we jump on into this UFC Boston card. Uh, it was a profitable event for me lock of the night play hits so we'll start off with that i had four units on jj aldrich at minus 157 that profits for 2.55 units super happy with that win uh you know looked a little sketchy in that second round uh but then jj aldrich you know just being the the forward pressure uh and the quicker striker um fighter in this situation uh you know goes up there and decisively takes that third round easy 29 28 all around in my opinion uh and it, you know, I'm not sure why more people weren't on Aldrich here. I saw a, lot, a couple of people on Lauren Mueller as well. Uh, I, I guess you can, I, I see the argument from Mueller a little bit. You know, she, on paper, seems like the better Muay Thai and uh, eight limb striker. Uh, however, um, with with JJ Aldrich, you just get a, a more feistier woman, a girl that likes to come forward more, uh, the quicker hands, as we clearly saw, uh, and just a better overall game. And I'm happy I took that bet. Uh, clear lock of the night play there. Wish I went the full five unit lock of the play. Uh, you know, uh, value as I normally do. However, I just took the four units uh, due to the fact that minus 157 is a gift in a line anyway. So, uh, you know, money management. <laughs> uh, all right, let's move on to my other W that night. I had 1.75 units at minus 113 on James Vick, Nico Price, under one and a half rounds. Should have went deeper on that as well. Profited for 1.55 units. Uh, no brainer. Nico Price either fucking gets killed or goes out or gets, you know, gets an incredible knockout just as he did this weekend or this past weekend, uh, or he goes out in a shield. And I think this was the, the perfect uh, ingredient that you need in a fight against a guy in James Vick coming up to 170, uh, but still having a questionable chin and, uh, you know, sometimes questionable fight IQ and bang here we go Nico Price with an up kick knockout one of the first ones you've seen in the UFC in a long fucking time uh, I think the last one that I can remember it wasn't even in the UFC but was uh Gegard Musasi and Jack Ray Sosa so uh big one for Nico Price there uh gets another highlight real KO on his record and we profit 1.55 units on that play uh, next up, we had three losses, minimal losses, which still allowed us to have a, to have a profitable event. So I'll go over this real quick. Devin Clark against Ryan Spann. Very weird fight. You know, Ryan Spann coming out there looking like he's just about to go take a jog on a Sunday morning. Uh, not really pushing the pressure much, but once the distance did close, he found Devin Clark's neck and just cranked on that guillotine chokes, uh, choke. And uh, Devin Clark taps really fucking quickly. So very unfortunate uh, L there. Um, 
but it was only one unit. I took also a 0.4 unit stab at plus 342 uh, on Andrew Sanchez. I thought that line was way out of whack. Uh, the fight was obviously a little bit closer than a you know plus three forty two would indicate, uh, but I would take that bet ten out of ten times. You know Andrew Sanchez, I I still believe he's the better overall fighter, um, but Marvin Vittori just came out victorious this time around, so it is what it is. Uh, and then lastly, I had Carl Gracie one point two five units at minus one hundred five uh, against. Uh, I said Carl Gracie inside the distance against Cub Swanson. That play does not come out to fruition. And if I were to bang on myself for any play that I regret the most, it was probably that one. You know, after tape, uh, while talking to a couple of friends before really getting into the card and, and researching it, uh, I had claimed, I'm like, yo, Cron Gracie probably will be lock of the night play. Uh, but let me do some investigating first before I make that commitment. You know, obviously digging into a little bit more and seeing his lack of ability to efficiently get fights to the ground. Uh, I decided to take a smaller play. Uh, you know, I thought if it was to ever get into the grappling realm or even to a place where Kron Gracie was going to be able to wrap Cub Swanson up, he'd be able to get him to the floor and somehow sweep or catch some sort of submission. Uh, that did not come to fruition. So big shout out to anybody that played Cub Swanson. I saw a couple people on him. You know, beautiful striking. That's kind of the game plan I was expecting him to implement when I had bet him against uh, Brian Ortega. Uh, you know, Ortega, fucking wizard with his jiu-jitsu, jumps for the guillotine, switches uh, his grips mid-air and still gets a submission against Cub Swanson. I thought Carl Gracie was going to be able to maybe not pull off a, you know, a, a jump to a guillotine and pull off a submission like that, but still somehow, you know, do what he did to Alex Caceres in a sense where he was able to, you know, engage in the clinch, shuck to his back, and then eventually work his submission game from there. However, Cub Swanson did a great job of staying on his bicycle and not allowing Cron Gracie uh, to, you know, even to even uh, face him with any of his jujitsu. So big shout out to Cub Swanson for getting that victory. But in the edit, at the end of the day, we're up 1.45 units on that event uh, for a 17% ROI. Happy with that one, you know, just to get the W there. So... Uh, that brings us to our next event, which I already have uh, two or sorry, four bets on. Uh, haven't really publicized them yet until I released the podcast. But if you have been, you know, peeping on my Bet MMA tips profile, you'll see the best that I've already made. So I'll go through them as I go through the card. Uh, but if you want to see what they are, you can check out my website at uh, or sorry, check me out on Twitter at MMA LOTN or check the website MMA LOTN.ca and I'll make sure to give you guys uh uh, or you guys will definitely see my bets posted there as well. So uh, they're all free, nothing to pay for, nothing like that. Uh, so make sure you guys go check that out. And if you want any advice, continue listening to the podcast as always. All right, so let's uh, get some quick thoughts on the event real quick before I get into each individual matchup. Uh, UFC Boston, big card. Got a couple local Boston guys on there, especially uh, some other intriguing matchups throughout. Brandon Allen finally making his UFC debut after successfully uh, having a fight on the Contender Series. Uh, Tanner Bose finally making his UFC debut as well after that debacle at UFC Vancouver where he was supposed to fight, but his opponent popped for uh, was popped by USADA pretty much the morning of the fight, so that kind of sucked for him. Uh, who else we got? UFC debut of Sean Brady, who's been a you know much anticipated uh, in that Northeast U.S. MMA sphere for a little bit now, 10-0. Kyle Bakniak against Sean Woodson, who's another Tuesday Night Contender Series winner. Manny Bermudez, the return of Charles Boston Strong Rosa. Darren Wynn coming back against Darren Stewart. Uh, Macy Barber versus Jillian Robertson, which I believe is a very, very intriguing fight. Could possibly be fight of the night, in my opinion, too. So very stoked for that fight. Joe Lozon trying to get back on the train after his brutal loss to Chris Grutzmacher. Uh, taking on another contender series uh, winner in Jonathan Pierce, the return of the War Prince, or whatever the fuck you call him, Greg Hardy against Ben Sassoli, uh, and then obviously Yair Rodriguez versus Jeremy Stevens, uh, which I talked about a little at the top of the show, and then Chris Weidman finally making his 205-pound debut, kind of forced to take his 205 debut uh, against a very, very tough fight in Dominic Reyes, uh, who is undefeated at 11-0. So 13 fights, uh, a lot of fights that have intriguing uh, wrinkles to each one. 
uh, you know, we're supposed to actually get Zabid Magomed Sharapov on this card too. However, uh, something happened. Uh, I believe it was his weight or an injury or something. Uh, but his fight with Calvin Qatar, who was a Bostonian, now has to go over to Moscow, Russia, and fight pretty much in Zagomed, Zabit Magomed Sharapov's backyard. So uh, unfortunate for Calvin Qatar there, but at least he still gets uh, the fight that he wants. Uh, maybe not on the home field like he thought he was going to get. So let's get right into this card. Starting at the bottom, we got uh, Daniel Spitz versus Tanner Bozer uh, kicking off the fight. Uh, Daniel Spitz, very interesting fighter uh nicknamed daddy long legs he stands at six seven with an 82 inch reach uh hasn't fully grown into the potential that he could possibly have with the with the frame that he has and and the type of movement that he presents at heavyweight uh you know last time out he lost to walt harris uh pretty much at the ending of round two that was back in june of 2018 so it's been a little bit of a uh a layoff for him roughly about a year and four months now uh he was supposed to fight jeff hughes back in march that fight fizzled uh but now here he is against tanner bozer uh you know i think spitz presents uh some intriguing uh some intriguing uh, uh techniques at least in terms of with, with his range and his movement uh he doesn't really move like a traditional heavyweight uh you know very lanky uh likes to switch stances uh yeah if you guys notice on his record he has a four second finish in the fight before his ufc fight again or is before his ufc debut against a guy named colton vaughn uh it seemed like it was like a rush uh where colton was trying to blitz spitz uh blitz spitz blitz spitz blitz spitz i can't believe i actually spent, said that three times in a row quickly <laughs> i don't know if you guys will call that quickly but try it out let me know how it goes anyway uh colton tried to blitz 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 <laughs> spits uh and um you know it seemed like he he rolled his ankle or he hurt his knee or something and uh spits pretty much uh you know mauled him and and the referee quickly stopped it so that four second knockout uh, or finish by punches i take a look at that before being completely uh you know uh being completely blown away by the fact that he has a four second finish on his record uh anyway he comes into the ufc he's uh, one and two with his only finish coming over Anthony Hamilton 24 seconds into the fight you know unlike the Colton Vaughn fight uh, this was actually a pretty uh, well-deserved finish 24 seconds landed beautifully on Anthony Hamilton and put his ass out uh, but Walt Harris was having none of that so uh, with Tanner Bozer you're getting a guy that's a little bit more uh, a little bit more used to going to a decision uh, very efficient with his striking speaking about decision besides his last fight against Jared Kilkenny uh, he had one, two, three, four, four straight fights that went to a decision, uh, not also including a, a, a draw that he had at M1 Challenge 1-1, which was back in March of this year. It's hard to get those fights from Unified, which is actually his last uh, fight. Uh, Unified does something with their fucking taser. They just do not let it out to the public, and they try to resell it and hope that people will actually buy it. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not really looking to put money uh, to see original fights. They should just fucking put them out for free. Just let us dissect it. You know, it's more, I'd say if anything, it's more um, potential to to spread their own name, their own promotion, get their name out there a little bit more. But it is what it is. I'm not going to hate on them too much. So uh, my man, Mr. Hockey, actually has a compilation out there of the beautiful leg kicks that uh tanner bozer was able able to implement throughout his three and a half round fight against jared kilkenny um uh, back in may uh and yeah that that's pretty much a gist of his, of, of his striking he's a very good boxer likes to use his kicks a lot too but he doesn't try to throw everything into his shots he he's a very methodical striker he doesn't look for that knockout punch or he doesn't try to look, look to get you guys out of there quickly uh he's very methodical but i i've, I've intrigued to see how he's going to be able to deal with a guy with the length of a daniel spitz so i'm not i'm not too confident in a tanner bozer here uh, i know he's currently sitting around the minus 120-ish range minus 125 um if you were to take a shot at this fight at pick a mods I, I would go with bozer because i think that you know with mr daddy long legs he's going to be having a little bit uh, easier of a time trying to beat up the leg of Spitz and if that's the game plan that he tries to come in with he might be successful but 
Daniel Smith, you know, I expect him to come in with the with the game plan, expecting to be leg kicked and try to counter off heavy, you know, heavy straights, uh, you know, heavy hooks. Try to come back with the hands whenever Tanner Bowser tries to throw throw those leg kicks. Um, I'm very, I'm very uh, skeptical about betting guys that are making their UFC debuts, but it also has to come against a guy that you know I'm not very high on. Uh, I'm not the highest on Daniel Spitz, but he does have some potential. Like again, if he if he really comes into his groove and is able to actually, um, you know, implement his style, his movement, his range, he could be a problem for some of these guys at heavyweight. Uh, but I just it, it's hard for me to see how Tanner uh, Bozer doesn't come out there and implement his striking, uh, and, and kind of put a little bit of a beating on Daniel Spitz. So I'm gonna go with Bozer here by decision. Um, but it's it even at pick a mods or close to pick a mods, I just don't feel comfortable betting Tanner Bozer either. So uh, I'm picking Bo- Bozer by decision, uh, but it's a no bet for me. Uh, yeah. All right, next up we have Kevin Holland against another debuting UFC fighter in Brendan Allen. I'll start off with Brendan Allen. Uh, he has a win over Aaron Jeffrey last time around. He finished him three minutes, 23 seconds uh into round number one uh he was getting hit with some shots until he was able to finally land a beautiful knee which dropped Aaron Jeffrey uh followed up with a little bit of ground pound found his neck and then eventually went for the rear naked choke and got the tap uh in the Moses Morietta fight he made no bones about it he wanted to get this fight to the ground ASAP he beat the fuck out of Morietta it was it was it was kind of awful to see actually. Um, the fight could have been stopped at any point in the fourth or fifth round. Uh, Marietta was just not getting off the ground. He was not able to uh, keep Allen off him. In this fight here, though, with Kevin Holland, he he seems like he could be the stronger guy. He might be able to bully Kevin Holland up against the cage. Uh, you know, Holland's last fight against Alessio Di Chirico. That was kind of the story. It was a very back and forth fight against the cage. Holland was able to have a little bit more success, but I do believe that Brandon Allen could be the stronger grappler. Uh, you know, at least if you put him up against Alessio Di Carico. So I think it's a, an intriguing fight for for uh, Allen. However, uh, his striking defense is just not the best. It's just not. It's just not UFC level in my opinion. And I think that with Kevin Holland's unorthodox striking and and uh, his lankiness, uh, uh, his kicks as well. I think that he can make it a very uh, tough fight for Brendan Allen. Uh, he will have a four-inch reach advantage. Brendan Allen is only an inch shorter than him, uh, but I think he also packs the the heavier power and the heavier strength. Uh, tough fight for me. It's a pass. I just don't feel confident enough in Brendan Allen to actually uh, bet the dog here, uh, nor do I feel confident in Kevin Holland, you know, not being not being outgrinded this time around. You know, Tiago Santos was able to outgrind him. Uh, you know, he's had some success against John Phillips. Uh, there was a, it was a very back-and-forth fight against Gerald Mearshart, who I believe has better jiu-jitsu than Brendan Allen. Uh, but I think that Allen is just a stronger guy here, and he could, be a, he could make it a much closer fight than it should be. So... Uh, pass for me i will take kevin holland uh via uh tko i think that he will land up brandon allen and eventually finish him probably in the second round uh but i just don't feel confident enough to be betting uh kevin holland around the minus 157 minus one uh 60th range that he's currently at so pass for me on betting but i do like kevin holland to win this fight all right next up we got sean brady against court mcgee uh, Court McGee coming off he lost to Diego Lima last time out in a fight that I had him as the luck of the night play um, that really opened my eyes to Diego Lima hence why I bet him last time around he fought Diego Lima went out there and finished or uh, you know put a beating on Luke Jamal pretty much uh, took the decision victory there but uh, uh, you know Court McGee just wasn't ready for that game plan of Diego Lima and especially that takedown defense that Lima was able to to show uh it was a huge improvement that i believe nobody even court mcgee wasn't expecting hence why i believe he took the elder sure to have been a split decision i don't think so i think unanimously diego lima should have gotten that on all three judges scorecards uh and now here court mcgee finds himself against a young hungry uh up-and-coming kid 10-0 even undefeated on the amateur scene as well uh going 4-0 uh but the one thing that I am questioning is the the type of competition uh, that uh, Sean Brady has been facing. Court McGee is a veteran in the UFC. He's been around since two thousand and ten. Uh, is when he was actually in the uh, 
using the on the ultimate fighter uh but he's stuck around for a while he's had a lot of ups and downs he's had a lot of tough fights and i don't think that sean brady really brings anything to the table that is going to blow court mcgee out of the water uh he is a heavy striker he looks to get fights to the ground and court mcgee is a decent grappler himself uh court mcgee also has uh you know a beautiful gas tank as well so i think that's gonna be an interesting spin on this uh it, it's very very tough for me to bet a guy in the minus 235 minus 230 ish range uh who is this massive of a favorite against a ufc tested guy in court mcgee especially you know the minus 235 guy making his ufc debut very very tough um you know, we saw Baki Pitolo kind of drop the ball against Callum Parter a couple of weeks ago. Miguel Beza almost dropped the ball as well against uh, Hector Aldana. Uh, it, it's tough, man. You, you got to really uh, find, pick and find uh, the, the spots and, and the right lines uh, when betting some of these guys that are just making their UFC debuts. No matter if they've been a wrecking scene on the regional uh, circuit, you know, once you get to the UFC, it's a, it's a different feel. It's a, the, there's different nerves. There's, it's just tough, uh, I believe. The the one thing that I think that uh, is good for Sean Brady here is he's going to be fighting close to home. He fights out of uh, Philadelphia, so it's not too far from Boston. So I think he'll have a strong contingent of people coming out to support him. Uh, but I think still just, just walking into that cage, seeing UFC on the ground and seeing that giant monster logo in the middle of the cage, I, I think it could catch up to Sean Brady here. So I, I still will pick Brady to win because I, I do like his style of fighting. And his kind of, you know, relentless forward pressure, winging hooks, and and uh, beautiful, like, grappling ability. Uh, but would I bet him at the minus 235 range? Probably not. Court McGee is still, you know, he could still get in there. You know, we've seen him fight a guy kind of in, as the same physique as, uh, as uh, Sean Brady and Alex Garcia just in uh, October of last year. Uh, and obviously, Sean Brady has a different game than Alex Garcia, but... We know that Court McGee is still around. He could still definitely, you know, put it on some guys. He's only 34, um, you know, a little bit higher up in the range of age, but, uh, you know, still potentially could be in a decent condition in his career. But I am still going to take Sean Brady here. I think he's going to win by decision. Uh, I think he'll be able to continuously back up Court McGee with big shots, uh, put him on the ground, probably do some work from on top. But uh, it's it's going to be tough for me to see how... Um, you can confidently bet a heavy favorite like Sean Brady, who's making his UFC debut against the battle-tested Court McGee. Uh, so uh, I wouldn't be too mad at seeing people putting Sean Brady in a parlay or something, but to bet him straight is blasphemy in my opinion. So I'll take Sean Brady by decision, uh, but it's a pass for me as a bet. All right, next up, we got... Randy Brown versus Boston Salmon. So, Randy Brown, what am I talking about? Randy Costa versus Boston Salmon. Last time we saw Randy Costa in the cage, he was fighting Brandon Davis back at UFC 236. Uh, relatively, uh, you know, unfortunate, uh, you know, fight for him, considering he was coming into the UFC 4-0. All of his fights finished within the first minute of the fight. Uh, he just comes in with this juggernaut attitude of just trying to take guys' heads off and you know, he could have some success here against Boston Salmon, who just recently got put out and finished by Khalid Taha. I believe it was on the same card. Yeah, it was on the same card. 25 seconds into the fight, he gets put out. Um, This is a tough fight because stylistically and technically, I believe that Boston Salmon is the better fight, uh, a better fighter, I should say. Um, You know, he's a little bit more crisp with his strikes, but I think that uh, Randy Costa has a strength uh, and power advantage here. Um, Dogger pass for me. You know, plus 140-ish for Randy Costa currently. Uh, you got to question Boston Salmon's chin because it, it was a bad knockout. It was one of the worst knockouts. Not worse, sorry. One of the one of the f- more frightening knockouts of 2019. Uh, and I think that Randy Costa carries that type of power in his hands where if he connects on Boston Salmon and Boston Salmon just doesn't have his wits about him still, uh, it could be, it could definitely be trouble. So I don't know how you can bet, uh, you know, a good sum of money on Boston Salmon with that big question mark out there. Uh, but also with, uh, you know, Randy Costa, you're talking about a guy who pre UFC, uh, his combined opponents record was five, uh, five and 14. And one of those 
two of those, sorry, three of those guys had no wins coming into that fight. So uh, huge, huge um, question mark in terms of his um, level of competition. And then when he did fight somebody, you know, somewhat UFC caliber in Brandon Davis, uh, he came out on the losing end. So um, it's kind of first round of push for Randy Costa. I believe that if you have the ability to, um, if you have the ability to lie bet on this fight, uh, I would go with Boston Salmon after the first round. Uh, but if it stays in the first round, I think it's going to be very dangerous for Boston Salmon. Uh, but I will take, uh, I'll take Costa. First round finish. I'll take the dog here. I won't be betting it. Um, would we'll see to win inside the distance. <laughs> Costa wins inside the distance is plus 325. Uh, the under two and a half is actually minus 120, which is kind of uh kind of intriguing actually um kind of a line that i just stumbled on uh, actually as i'm recording this podcast so that might be something that i look at um yeah i'll, I'll definitely take a look at that because we don't really know what you know randy costa looks like after the one and a half round mark and if you give me under two and a half it might be something that i'll possibly look at uh so um yeah minus 110 ish on uh on the under two and a half, I, I, I really like that. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll take Randy Costa here, first round knockout, uh, and possibly bet the under here. I, I really like the line, and I think that there's a lot of value there. So um, won't be betting Randy Costa, uh, nor will I be betting Boston Salmon, but I might be making a play on the under two and a half rounds here, uh, which currently minus 120 or so. I'll see what it's at. On Pinnacle, as that's usually my main go-to website, uh, so I'll look at that. But I, I definitely like that. I think anything better than minus one twenty uh, is worth at least like a one point two to one point five unit stab. So I like the under two and a half here for Randy Costa and Boston Salmon, and I'll take Randy Costa by first round KO. Uh, just not, um, just not uh, confident uh, confident enough in betting Randy Costa straight. All right, next up, we got Kyle Bokniak against uh, Sean Woodson. Intriguing fight here just due to the fact that Sean Woodson is a tall motherfucker for 145, six foot two inches, 79 inch reach, coming off a flying knee knockout in the contender series back in July uh, in a fight that he was kind of getting, uh, you know, he was having his success, his success on the feet when he, you know, when the fight was on the feet, but Terrence McKinney was able to get the fight to the ground on numerous occasions, pretty much right out the first round on Sean Woodson's back. Uh, almost the same story in the second round until uh, Sean Woodson was able to, uh, you know, clear the the the, the body triangle, um, get the fight back to the feet, and literally the first strike that he throws is a flying knee, and he gets the finish over Terrence McKinney. So not a good look if you, like, kind of watch the fight, in, in in total uh but you know impressive knockout his first uh his first finish in four fights uh i'll take it um good one for him there uh but Kyle Bokniak, you know he's a guy that likes to kind of crash forward just like his nickname says uh he's a forward uh pressured fighter uh you know even in the Hakeem Duwadu fight uh he was getting hit a lot but was still moving forward you know he has a great chin uh hasn't been finished uh, so that he has that kind of to his uh, advantage. Great durability. Um, I think he might be able to walk forward and kind of wear on Sean Woodson here. Um, you know, Woodson has a very stinging jab, very precise with his uh, with keeping range and, and keeping fighters on the outside. But I think that Kyle Bokniak uh, will be able to eat some of those shots and kind of close the distance. Um, I'm not knocking anybody for really taking a shot at Sean Woodson at dog money. Uh, but I think that uh, this is kind of a fight for Kyle Bokniak to, to go out there and win in front of his home crowd. Um, don't feel comfortable betting him in at the minus 140s range because I think that Sean Woodson does have some, uh, he d- definitely has some skill. You know, he's 6-0, and um, great striking. Uh, yet yeah, uh, takedown defense leaves a little bit to be desired. He did show some great takedown defense in roughly that first minute or so against McKinney, but the McKinney was able to finally get the fight to the ground. Uh, that's not really Kyle Bokniak's game, but I do believe that Bokniak uh, can make this fight uh, a little bit of a grind and and kind of wear on Sean Woodson. So as long as Bokniak's chin holds up, I think that he can come away with a decision victory here. 
uh, you know, he had a little bit of a similar uh, fight against Brandon Davis, another guy who's, you know, kind of lanky for that reign, uh, for that fight, uh, uh, for that division. Uh, but, you know, Woodson's a little bit bigger. I think he's a little bit better of a striker than Brandon Davis, too. Uh, but I still like Bokniak to win this fight by decision, pretty much just grinding uh, Sean Woodson against the cage, trying to get this fight to the ground uh, and keep this in a range where, uh, or keep this in a distance where Sean Woodson won't be able to uh, implement his range and keep him on the outside. So pick is going to be Kyle Bokniak, uh, but will not be betting that fight. Next up, we got Molly McCann versus uh, Deanna Belbita. Oof, this, this one was a tough one to watch tape for. Uh, Deanna Belbita in her second last fight against Belena Bojic. 17 second finish via punches, but that fight was horrible. Uh, three of her last four opponents are actually were making their MMA debuts. Uh, and then her, you know, that that last fight out of those four was actually a rematch against the girl that she had beaten, uh, who had only managed to get one more victory and then lost one more time and then got this uh rematch against Deanna. But goddamn, it's it's I think the the one thing that it comes down to for Deanna is that she was able to be a little bit more aggressive and and had a little had a little bit more on the uh, on the gas pedal than her opponents, which is why she was able to win these fights. But she just does not have the best technique. She's kind of just a a wing and move forward and try to uh you know out aggressive her her opposition. I should I should say, uh you know the the type of um the type of uh, performance that. Anna Maria Powell was able to put on, um, you know, uh, having the success that she had, staying in the fight as much as she did, getting the fight to the ground as easily as she did. I think that uh, it's going to be a tough time for Deanna Belbita to get a victory in the UFC, especially against uh, a girl like Molly McCann. You know, Molly is, uh, I've kind of shit on her in the past, but she's a decent fighter considering the rest of the division. The way that she was able to outbox and outpressure Ariane Lipsky, even keeping this fight in the in the, the striking realm, which is where Ariane Lipsky was supposed to have the most success, uh, Molly McCann was able to you know put her hands together, land big shots, and then eventually get the takedown in the last you know in the dying seconds of each round. I think that uh, she'll have success taking the fight to the ground if she need to against Belbita. Uh, you know, I think in the first round she might have to. Um, but after that, I think that she might be able to uh, kind of out, outstrike Deanna, who I believe will be sucking a little wind uh, after that first round against Molly McCann. So I, I don't, as as bad as Deanna Balbina looks on tape, I do not think that Molly McCann is worth parlaying at minus 600. Fuck out of here if you guys even believe that's something worth doing. Um, I, I just don't like this fight for Deanna. Um, I'm not the biggest on Molly McCann either. Again, I've I've kind of shit on her in the past, but uh, this is not a fight where you should be parlaying minus six hundred Molly McCann. Uh, no matter how bad fucking Deanna Belbita looks, so I'm taking Molly McCann by decision. But uh, I'd be wary about betting her. Uh, you know what? I'm actually going to take Molly McCann by third round TKO, just due to how bad Deanna Belbita actually looks. Um, but yeah. Do not please for the light, for your well being and for my sake, do not parlay Molly McCann at minus six hundred, minus three hundred maybe minus six hundred, fuck no. Simple as that. All right, next up we got Manny Bermudez versus uh, Charles Rosa. So this is a fight that I actually have a bet on. Uh, I do have one point five units on. Yeah, 1.5 units at plus 130 on Dan- Manny Bermudez to win inside the distance. Um, it, it, there's no there's no bones about it. With Manny Bermudez, you're getting a guy that's pretty much just winning inside the distance. Um, he's always looking to get the fight to the ground, uh, albeit to his detriment. Uh, but when he gets the fight to the ground, more often than not, he's finding some sort of choke. Um, you know, his UFC debut... Against Albert Morales, he was able to get the fight to the ground finally in the in the second round and got that guillotine choke relatively quickly. David Grant only took him one minute to get that choke, uh, the triangle choke, and then with uh, Benito Lopez, uh, you know, was able to find that neck and get that guillotine choke three minutes and nine seconds into that first round. You know, the Casey Kenny fight is a little bit of an anomaly. Uh, this is the first time he fought a guy that 
probably has better scrambling ability um, than uh, Manny Bermudez and, and a better awareness of, you know, trying to stay a, a step ahead of his opponents. And Casey Kenny's really good at that. You, you can't really knock Kenny for 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 that. Um, I think that Kenny's going to have, you know, some success in the UFC, uh, but I think that he had Bermudez's number that night. Uh, but I think that this is a much more favorable matchup for uh, Bermudez coming in against Charles Rosa. Switching over to Charles Rosa, 11-3, trains at American Top Team, but his nickname is Boston Strong. The guy is from the Massachusetts area. Uh, he hasn't fought since April of 2017, where Shane Burgos TKO'd him with uh, two minutes into the third round, way back at UFC 210. That was Daniel Cormier versus Anthony Johnson, too. That was a long time ago. He was scheduled to come back against Mizuto Arota back in uh, September of 2017. That fizzled. And then he was also supposed to fight Dan Ige in January of 2018. That fizzled. And now here he is back nearly two and a half years after he last fought against Manny Bermudez. So yeah, he does have the home field advantage, uh, you know, but uh, to fight a guy with the style of Manny Bermudez, this is probably a tough fight to come back to. Um you know, Manny Bermudez kind of, he has a decent chin. Uh, you know, he is undefeated. He has never been finished. Uh, and his his style of just moving forward. Uh, and I think that Charles Rosa's, you know, weird style of, you know, fighting sideways and, and kicking a lot and throwing spinning shit. Uh, I think it's going to come to bite him in the ass against Manny Bermudez here. He needs to mind his P's and Q's on the feet. Because if you throw anything out there without bringing it back quick enough, Manny Bermudez is going to get a hold of it. He's going to take you down, and he's going to start working for the submission. Um, I do not think at all Charles Rosa wants to fuck around on the feet here. I think that Bandy Bermudez has the advantage no matter what. Uh, and he showed decent striking against Casey Kennedy. You know, not the absolute worst, but he does have some improvements to make there. Uh, but I think that it's really going to come down to Charles Rosa you know, make sure, making sure that he gets his kicks back because I think that Manny Bermudez is kind of going to uh, anticipate Charles Rosa's kicks. He's going to grab onto one of those kicks if Mar Rosa is even the slightest bit lazy with it uh, and he'll be able to get the takedown um, and and uh, and start working his jiu-jitsu. So that's kind of what I'm banging on. I don't really see Manny Bermudez running a decision here because j just due to his, you know, constant forward pressure, constant uh you know knack for looking for the finish so i i think it's either manny bermudez gets the finish or charles rosa you know somehow some way keeps this fight on the feet and picks apart manny bermudez but i just don't see that happening especially you know two and a half years away from the cage you, you gotta really be on top of your reaction time uh especially against a guy with the with the finishing ability and, and knack for for finding that finish like a manny bermudez so uh, I, I don't like this matchup for Charles Rosa to come back to. And I think that we're going to see Manny Bermudez, actually another Massachusetts uh, native from Rockland, Massachusetts. Um, where is uh, Rosa's fighting out of Boynton Beach, Florida, but he was born in Peabody, Massachusetts. So this is two Massachusetts boys going at it. Uh, but I do like Manny Bermudez here to get the finish. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of value at him at plus 130 to win inside the distance. So I think it would be kind of stupid for anybody to play Manny Bermudez straight when I think that his clear uh, path to victory is to win inside the distance. Uh, and for people that don't have the ability to bet guys to win inside the distance, uh, minus 145-ish, not too bad of a range for Bermudez. I wouldn't bet him over like minus 160, minus 170, uh, but I do love the underdog value that you can get for him to win inside of the distance. Uh, the under 2.5 is roughly around minus 120, so I think that even betting the under 2.5 would probably be the better way to go if you want to bet Manny Bermudez rather than taking slightly more juice by betting Manny Bermudez at minus 142 or minus 145. So my tip to you, if you don't have the ability to bet Manny Bermudez inside the distance, I would bet the under 2.5 because you'll still get you'll get better value. And I think that's the way that Manny Bermudez will win, which is inside the distance. All right, next up. Darren Wynn against Darren Stewart. Now we got Duran Wynn against Darren Stewart. Almost the same name, so I don't want to completely fuck it up. Uh, Duran Wynn, 6-0. I'd like to call him the middleweight midget because the guy is 5'5", five 71-inch five, reach, but 
looks like he's always fighting the biggest of big men anytime he goes in there. Uh, great wrestling pedigree comes from AKA. A lot of people call him mini DC, uh, but we didn't see any of that DC in his last fight against Eric Spicely. Very fun fight, fight of the night, if I'm not mistaken. That was back in June. But uh, he was supposed to fight Marcus Press and Bruno Silva back in June. Uh, but then Eric Silva, obviously, or sorry, Eric Spicely stepped up on short notice. Um, and even before that, he had a fight against Tom Lawler on the Liddell versus Ortiz 3 card. Uh, I was surprised that he didn't attack his wrestling game a little bit more with uh, Eric Spicely, even though Spicely is a really good jiu-jitsu practitioner. Uh, you know, he was over three on his takedown attempts against Spicy. That fight was way closer than it should be, especially if you, you know, you potentially parlayed Duran win in that minus 285, minus 300 range. You were probably sweating your balls throughout that entire fight. He still comes out on the winning side, uh, but in this fight against Darren Stewart, I think he fight, he, he needs to rely on that grappling a little bit more. So Darren Stewart has shown some improvements in his takedown defense. Uh, you know, that Eric Spicy fight, uh, I believe I had spicy in that, and it was a very rude awakening when uh, Stewart was able to keep the fight on the feet. Uh, you know, he did get taken down eight times by Edmund Shabazian, but Shabazian just was not able to keep him down. I'm interested to see whether Duran win, uh, if he could get him down, and if he'll be able to keep him on the ground. Uh, but, uh, you know, Stewart did beat Bevin Lewis in his last fight. I did see many instances where Bevin Lewis was able to control Darren Stewart against the cage, but whenever there was a break, uh, Darren Stewart was able to land the more significant strikes, and it had more of an effect on the judges. So I believe the, the cage control that Bevin Lewis was accruing just wasn't having a, uh, you know, a much, as much of an effect on the judges as Darren Stewart's strikes and significant strikes uh, were actually having. Uh, that factor alone, the fact that Darren Stewart has been, you know, kind of uh, held against the cage and, and show that he can be grinded on, kind of uh, shy, makes me shy to bet on him uh, with uh, Darren Stewart here. The line is relatively close right now, you, you know, at... At Sportbook, you can, it's pretty much a pick em. At five dimes, it's minus 125 for a Duran win, plus 105 for Darren Stewart. Uh, a lot of question marks here. We don't know if we're going to get a Duran win that tries to go in there with the Eric Spicy game plan. He would be absolutely stupid if he did, you know, trying to strike with the, the dentist. Uh, I believe that he is somewhat of a smart guy, and I believe he has a great camp behind him as well. So I don't think. We'll see him striking as much as we did as we saw him against Eric Spicy. I think we should see him going for takedowns. I think he'll be successful with takedowns here, but just the the, the size discrepancy and the amount of rage he gives up and uh, it's just and the amount of uh, power that Darren Stewart has because we did see Eric Spicy land a couple good shots on Win and actually you know stumble him and rock him a bit. Uh, and I think that if it was Stewart being able to land those shots, you know, uh, Wynn would be in a lot more trouble. So the fight is closely lined as I truly believe it should be. Uh, but I think it truly comes down to the style of fight that Duran Wynn brings into this fight. He, I believe he could easily uh, cage fuck uh, Darren Stewart here. But I just, I, I'm just not confident enough in actually betting him here either. So I like Duran Wynn to win this fight by decision. Uh but I'm just not confident enough uh, in actually betting him in this spot either. All right, next up, we got Macy Barber versus Jillian Robertson. As I said at the top of the show, I believe, I believe this fight could be fight of the night. Uh, Jillian Robertson has that constant forward pressure, uh, always looking for takes on, takedowns and always kind of seeking the finish, almost Manny Bermuda style, uh, but I think that uh, she has some work to do with her striking. Um Pretty much all of her wins have come from initiating the grappling. Uh, and, uh, you know, it does take roughly about a round and a half for her to finally get her shit together. Uh, but I think that she has her work cut out here against Macy Barber. Uh, Macy Barber has uh, decent... Um, she has decent distance management, some good footwork, uh, and she packs a lot of power. You know, she was able to finish J.J. Aldrich in the second round uh, in her last fight back in March, uh, especially in a fight where she was kind of getting 
you know, she was kind of getting wrecked in that first round. You know, JJ Aldrich landed a lot of good shots. She was able to, you know, accrue a lot of damage in that first round. Uh, but then Macy Barmer was able to turn the tables in that second round, uh, land a big knee, and then eventually finish the fight with punches. She had a war against Hannah Cyphers as well back at uh back in November of uh, 2018. Uh she's a tough girl. She's still young. She's six and oh, or sorry, seven and oh now, coming in against Jillian Robertson, who's a little bit more battle tested, uh, at least in the UFC, that is. But it's it's very tough for me to pick a side here. Uh, I I am leading uh, towards Macy Barber, uh, but I wouldn't look to better at all until at least she's in like the the pick'em range, the minus one fifteen, minus one twenty. I think those days are long gone. I don't know if we'll get that. Uh, Barber to win inside the distance is currently. Barber inside distance is plus 155, so I don't think that's a bad stab, if that's something that you guys want to look at, uh, but it's it's tough for me to see how, uh, you know, Jillian Robertson gets stuff going on, on on the feet. I think she could have some success with the wrestling, but I think that Macy Barber is very much, uh, you know, attested with the ground game as well, and I think that she'll be able to stay out of submissions uh but Jillian Roberts just Robertson just like her name her nickname kind of insinuates she is a savage she she likes to go forward she likes to put the pressure on you and she likes to go for the finish uh I've been having a lot of success with betting her fights don't go to a decision uh it's at the minus 215 range uh the under one and a half is plus 125 I was kind of hoping to get the under two and a half here however it doesn't look like the the bookmakers are are going to be you know sticking in their ways and and continuing to line Jillian Robertson fights at over under two and a half. So I like uh I like I like Macy Barbie here. I think she's gonna have some fun on the feet. Uh and then she'll finally, you know, land a significant a shot significant of a shot to uh put Jillian Robinson on her butt. And I think that she'll get the TKO victory here. Uh I would look to bet Macy Barbie if she reaches the minus one twenty, minus one fifty ish range. Uh but I'm not uh, 100% sure that we'll see that line with a couple days left until the event. Uh, so I'm taking Macy Barber to win by TKO, uh, but it's very tough for me to pick against my girl, Jillian Robertson, as she's made me a lot of money in the past. Uh, but I think this is a very tough fight for her, uh, and, I, and I'm taking Macy Barber by finish. All right, we got four fights left, so let's roll on through. We got Joe Lozon against Jonathan Pierce next. This is a, another fight that I have a bet on. Uh, so I got, I got one point. Let me make sure I got this right. I got one point one units at minus one ten for uh, Jonathan Pierce to win inside the distance. Let's start off with Joe Lozon first. Though he's riding a three fight losing streak, as well as you know pretty much uh, trading wins and losses over the past several years. Uh, not really putting much of a record together, or at least string a string of wins. He's never won more than two straight UFC fights, uh, which is actually a stat that I put out there a couple of weeks ago when I was initially kind of just scatting over this event. Uh, last time around, Jolo's on just did not look good. Uh, you know he had. Somewhat of a success in the first minute and a half, two minutes of his fight against Chris Grutzbacher. But after that, he started to blow wind pretty quickly. And as we saw, you know, he normally starts to starts to really uh, show his lack of gas tank after that one and a half round mark. Uh, you know, Chris Grutzbacher stayed very composed, uh, you know, ate some shots from Joe Lozon, uh, even though they weren't the most, uh, what can I say, technical strikes. Um, uh, but uh, Joe Lozon, you know, blew his wad in that first two minutes, and then Chris Grootsbacher just uh, took over from there, just landing beautiful body strikes, sucking it out of Joe Lozon, and then eventually, you know, getting or forcing Joe Lozon's corner to call the fight uh, after the second round. I think Jonathan Pierce is going to have somewhat of a similar success. It's going to come down to that first, you know, minute and a half, two minutes, is Jonathan Pierce going to be able to uh, withstand 
uh, the power, not the power, but the, the onslaught of a Joel Ozan who's going to want to try to get this fight to the ground ASAP. But I like Jonathan Pierce's ability to maintain range. Uh, he needs to make sure that he keeps his kicks uh, just like Charles Rosa. Uh, and I believe he'll be able to because I think he is faster than Joel Ozan here. Uh, just get his kicks back whenever he throws them out. Uh, just so Joel Ozan is able to hold on to them and, and take him down. Uh, but I like uh, Jonathan Pierce to to kind of pick apart Joel Ozan here and then eventually look for the finish, uh, you know, end of second round, early third round. I think that he'll be able to have a lot of success after that first round, uh, which is why, you know, I've seen a lot of people online say that if you have access to live betting, uh, Jonathan Pierce after the first round is definitely a good bet. But I'm not much of a live better myself. Uh, maybe it's something that I should look to, to get into a little bit more. Uh, however, I do like Jonathan Pierce here uh, regardless. Uh, and I did like the, the minus 110 line of him to win inside the distance. Uh, it's a much better price than the minus 150-ish, which is currently he's currently at as a straight bet. Uh, but I think that Joe Lozon's best days are behind him. I think he's kind of just coming into this fight because it's in his you know native uh, native state. Uh, but it's, it's kind of a bad look. You know, he hasn't fought since... Uh, April of last year. Really not sure why he really wants to come back, other than the fact that this fight is in Boston. But I, I love, I love Jonathan Pierce in this in this part uh, or in this fight. And I kind of said it earlier in the show. Um, you know, you re really got to be careful with some of these guys coming off the contender series and and not really drinking the Kool Aid. You know, the Mackie Patolo thing. That I'm still always going to bring that up. There's a lot of guys coming from the contender series that look like absolute killers and. and and look like they're really high, high level UFC guys, but you got to be very particular about which spots you're choosing them in. And I like this position with, uh, with, uh, with Jonathan Pierce and Joe Lozon. Joe Lozon is clearly on the way out, just does not know how to manage his gas tank the best. And I think that he's going to be outgunned here by Jonathan Pierce, who's a great striker, uh, and decent takedown defense as well, too. So I think that even if Joe Lozano tries to get a hold of him, I think that Pierce is going to find his way out. Uh, but that's all within the first two minutes. If Joe Lozano is able to pull this uh, victory out, you know, under half a round, or sorry, over half a round, I'd be very much surprised. But I am going to take Jonathan Pierce. I do have a 1.1 unit bet on him at minus 110 to profit for one unit. Uh, I am going light just due to that, that contender series asterisk that he has beside his name. Uh, and also UFC debut, and also fighting, you know, in uh, Joe Lowe's on country. <laughs> uh, but uh, I like the corner that uh, that Jonathan Pierce has with the MMA lab, and I think that he'll be able to maintain his composure, uh, pick apart Joe Lozon, withstand that initial onslaught, and then eventually get to finish late second round, early third round. So I like JSP, Jonathan Pierce, via TKO. All right. That brings us to my lock of the night play, which is as straightforward as it gets. Why this is under minus 200, I don't know. It might not be under minus 200 come fight time or at least come, you know, yeah, come to, come fight time. So if you're able to, to put down this bet uh, as soon as you hear this podcast or even see this bet on my Twitter page or my website, I would make it ASAP. I got five units on uh, under one and a half rounds on Greg Hardy versus Ben Sassoli. It's currently sitting at minus 172 on Pinnacle, which is where I got it. But on other sites, uh, it's in the minus 175-ish range. Let me look at that. Yeah, minus 170-ish range. So you can still get a really good price on it. Let's not, let's not be stupid. We know what the fuck Greg Hardy is all about. He's only had one fight ever reach the second round, and then it ended up being that illegal knee uh, against uh, Alan Crowder, but we know what he is about. He wants to go in there, take your head off ASAP, make a statement, make a roar, have his little fucking moment, and then move on to the next cat crushing fight. Ben Sassoli, how he was the first overall pick in the uh, in the in the fucking Ultimate Fighter series, I have no idea. But Juan Espin Espino comes out there. Well, I think that, you know, Juan Espino, I think he could have a lot of success at heavy with, with his grappling alone. Uh, it's unfortunate that we haven't been able to see him compete pretty much since the Ultimate Fighter, just dealing with nagging injuries. But with Ben Sassoli, you know, he's trying to go out there and, and, and get a finish. He throws heat just like Greg Hardy throws heat. So why this fight is lined at minus 170, I have no fucking clue. I think that odds makers are just looking at the fact that, um, you know, Ben Sassoli went the distance with Juan Espino. 
Uh, you know, his fight against Mike Turner went to the third round, but these guys are not Greg Hardy. The Greg Hardy's coming out there with full force. He's trying to land big shots, and and that kind of leaves himself open too. So I think that if Ben Sassoli is a little bit, you know, patient with the striking, he could catch Greg Hardy on the counter and probably put Greg Hardy on his butt and get the finish that way too. So I would not, I repeat, I would not parlay or look to bet Greg Hardy straight. I would much rather play the under one and a half. You know, we if Greg Hardy's going to win this fight, it's under one and a half rounds. If he gets past that, I think this fight is all Ben Sassoli. Uh, but even with that, I, I do not believe for the life of me that this fight is going to get past the one and a half minute mark. So under one and a half at minus 170 at five times is a gift. I got it at minus 172 at pinnacle. Fucking lock for the night shit that. I went five units deep, the full lock for the night allotment that I normally do. Uh, and Greg Hardy, I, I believe Greg Hardy will be the one to get the finish, you know, sub two minutes. Uh, not saying sufficient two minutes, but less than two minutes. <laughs> I think that Greg Hardy will find Ben Sassoli's chin much quicker, much faster, covers the distance a lot better, um, and just has power for days. So I don't think Sassoli will be the guy to, you know, put a halt to Greg Hardy's, um, you know, run in the UFC. Uh, and it's crazy that this guy is getting his one, two, three, fourth fight. He might even be able to fight one more time if he gets a quick finish, probably put him on that year-end card. Uh, but... I think a big big one for Greg, Greg Hardy here once again. And I love, 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 love the minus 172 that I'm getting under one and a half on this fight. So that's my lock of the night play. Greg Hardy is the pick, first round finish. But lock of the night play, under one and a half rounds. Hit that shit, ASAP. All right, co event, the fight that a lot of people have been waiting for. I wish that we had it settled a couple weeks ago in Mexico City. Unfortunately, we get it pushed back a couple weeks, and here we have it, minus two rounds. We got a three-rounder between Jeremy Stevens and Yair Rodriguez. Uh, first time around, I picked Jeremy Stevens, and I believe I bet three or 3.5 units uh, You know, in the minus 105-ish range, minus 110 range. I can't really remember, uh, but this time around, I got that plus money I was waiting for. I got plus one or two on uh, Jeremy Stevens. I put 2.75 units on him this time around, um, you know, I, I believe I did take a small poke at him inside the distance uh, in that five-rounder. But in this three-rounder, I'll give Yair a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. I do like the plus 230-ish that you could possibly get with Jeremy Stevens inside the distance. So I wouldn't be mad at anybody taking a small poke at that. But even to get Jeremy Stevens at plus money is more than enough, I believe. Um, you know, if you guys really want to get hear me get super into it, uh, just go back and listen to the UFC Mexico City card. I think a lot of it still pertains uh you know, or a lot of it is still relevant in this fight. The only thing that we have to, you know, kind of change up is the fact that we're getting two less rounds. I think that opens up Jeremy Stevens' game a little bit more. I think that's going to allow him to be a little bit more, uh, you know, allow him to put on the, put his foot on the gas a little bit more, allow him to push the pressure a little bit more. Um, and I think that's going to break Yair Rodriguez even earlier. I think that, you know, Jeremy Stevens has a decent chin. Uh, you know, when's the last time that he's been put out? Uh, well, Jose Aldo had that beautiful body kit or body punch that eventually had the ground and pound finish. Uh, but before that, Eve Edwards way back in 2012. So I, I'm kind of banking on Jeremy Stevens' chain here. I think he is going to have to eat a couple of shots from Yair Rodriguez, but he's not going to be getting the hardest or the the, the the most powerful strikes with Yair Rodriguez moving backwards, which is, I, which is what I... What I believe Jeremy Stevens will force him to do in this fight. I truly think that Jeremy Stevens will land on Yaya Rodriguez because we've seen him, you know, not have the best, uh, at least movement in terms of striking defense, nor does he have the best ability to keep his hands up and, and block any type of strikes. I've, you know, I, I said it on the last time I broke down this podcast, but I saw a lot of people initially comparing Yair Rodriguez to Zabit Magomed Shiripov, but Zabit just has much better footwork, much better striking defense, and he does a lot better of a job, you know, circling off the cage and getting back to the center of the octagon. I don't see that so much from Yair Rodriguez. I kind of see him, you know, back up, uh, and even when he does kind of try to um, 
try to evade shots he he keeps his feet planted and and he kind of just moves his upper body but I think that Jeremy Stevens can see that in his game and especially having guys like Dominic Cruz in his camp I believe that he you know he he is smart enough to be able to step forward a little bit kind of like the Anderson Silva Chris Weidman thing where you know if the guy all he's using if he's not using his footwork to evade these strikes just fucking step forward a little bit and you'll be able to land that big shot and find their chin even if the the defending fighter believes that they're out of the way I, I like Jeremy Stevens here. I, I think that he'll be able to put that pressure on Yair, not let Yair get comfortable. Uh, and I think that Jeremy Stevens will find the knockout here. I'm going to say second round for this time around. I think I said third round last time around, but I'm going to say second time this round, this time, uh, just due to the fact that I think that Jeremy will be able to put the foot on his put his foot on the gas a little bit earlier, not having to worry to worry about going in an extra ten. Uh, 10 minutes if he's not able to actually put Yair out but I will take Jeremy Stevens second round finish and, and let's not forget there's a lot of um that there's a lot uh of heat behind Jeremy Stevens now as well and I think Yair will fight it with a little bit of emotion too and even after that fight we saw that he's not the best at kind of controlling his emotions so I wouldn't be surprised to see Jeremy Stevens go out there and try to try some mental warfare as well to kind of put Yair Rodriguez in, in vulnerable positions. Uh, I think that Jeremy Stevens is 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 a killer. and he, We're going to definitely see that this weekend against Yair Rodriguez. So I'm taking Jeremy Stevens second round TKO. Wouldn't be mad at anybody poking the plus 230-ish range that he is to win inside the distance. But I went straight with the plus 102, my dog of the night play right there. Uh, if you're able to get him dog uh, at dog money, I would highly suggest it. So I'm taking Jeremy Stevens second round TKO. All right, that brings us right to our main event, where we have Chris Weidman making his two hundred five pound two hundred five pound debut against Dominic Reyes. Reyes currently around the minus one seventy ish range, where you're getting Chris Weidman around the plus one forty plus one fifty range. Um, like I said at the top of the show, you know Chris Weidman was kind of forced to move up in weight here. Uh, he was forced due to, you know, constant finishes, uh, being finished by Luke Rockhold, being finished by Yoel Romero, Gegard Musasi. Uh, he was able to overpower Calvin Gaston after, you know, having a rough first uh, two rounds and then eventually getting that arm triangle choke in the third. Uh, and then, you know, down with Jacare Souza, a lot of people think was thinking that he was running that fight until he got finished. Uh, you could make an easy argument for that fight being 1-1 going into that third round. And then eventually Jacare Souza gets that finish. Another hometown loss for uh, Chris Weidman, unfortunately. But he's hoping to find new life at 205. Um, earlier this week, he said that he only has about six pounds to cut, uh, which could be, you know, good news or bad news. You know, that could help with his, uh, you know, the, the water in his brain. Uh, that could help with just how he feels overall. Uh, but that could also be uh, unfortunate for him because he's fighting a very big light heavyweight in Dominic Reyes. Dominic Reyes, six foot four, seventy-seven inch reach. Um, it looks like he cuts a decent amount of weight to get to that to that uh, threshold, but it's not like he's killing himself to make it either. Uh, he's a young kid, twenty-nine years old, at least young in the game. Eleven fights in, uh, had a dis- split decision victory over Volkan Uzdemir in a fight that could have gone either way. A lot of people were kind of thinking that Volkan could have won that fight too, but um, I don't feel confident in betting Dominic Reyes here. Um, you know, he's in the minus 170-ish range, not where I kind of would want to bet him. If he was closer to like the minus 120-ish range, maybe I would throw a little bit on him just due to the power that he has in his hands. Um, You know, his strength could definitely play play an advantage here against the Chris Weidman who's going to look to wrestle here. Um, If Weidman doesn't try to go for a takedown within the first two minutes of this fight, I think that he'd have a very flawed game plan. Um, I... I think Weidman has the advantage with the wrestling, uh, and also I think he has the advantage with the jiu-jitsu, but it's all going to be about if he's able to keep Dominic Reyes down, uh, you know, get him down and keep him down, which I think he's going to have a lot of trouble with, uh, you know, only being around that 210 to 12-ish range that he'll probably be at when he actually fights. I think that Dominic Reyes is probably going to be walking around the 220-ish, 230-ish range, or maybe even 225 Uh and as well, just being as lanky as he is, he's going to be a little bit harder to take down. Uh, I think that Dominic Reyes does decent damage in the clinch. And I think that Weidman's going to have to look out for his elbows once he does get into that clinch position, especially against the cage. Uh, I think that we will see Weidman be successful with a couple of takedowns. But I just don't know if we will see him be able to keep Reyes down. 
Um, a lot of people were counting Chris Weidman out against Calvin Gaslam, who in himself is a heavy hitter as well. And, you know, even Weidman, even though Weidman was coming off with three devastating knockouts, uh, Calvin Gaslam wasn't really able to pull him out and or put him out and get that final victory. Um, and then eventually we saw Jock Ray come back and, and finish him as well, too. So tough, tough fight, uh, in my opinion. Um, not confident in either side to bet them. Uh, obviously, Chris Weidman with his chin issues and the amount of power that Dominic Reyes, you know, keeps in his hand and feet is always a concern. Uh, but the, the the grappling is a concern. You know, when Chris Weidman gets Dominic Reyes down, is he going to be able to keep him there? I just don't know. Uh, if you are looking to bet this fight at all, uh, what's the over under? Over under is currently set at one and a half. I like the I like the over one and a half at minus one fifty five uh, or even better. Um, I still don't know if I would bet it. I gotta see what Pinnacle has it at. Uh, but best fight odds for some reason doesn't show their over unders um, for Pinnacle. But uh, yeah, I, I would go with the over here. Uh, if you get the over in the minus one thirty range, I I wouldn't be mad at that. I'm kind of I'm 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 kind of kind of envisioning that Weidman's gonna be um, kind of clinch fucking here and and trying to keep this fight as close as possible try to implement his grappling, and I think that's going to kind of throw Dominic Reyes, Reyes' game off a little bit, kind of get him, you know, to try to adjust to it over the first round and a half, and then after that, I think we'll see Reyes kind of open up a little bit more. Uh, I do like the over. I don't know if I'll bet it, uh, since I already have four bets on the current card. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take Reyes by, by finish. I'm going to take him late second round to win by TKO. It's just tough for me to see Chris Weidman's chin be able to hold up against heavy hitters like guys like Dominic Reyes. Um, you know, unfortunately for him. Uh, but I, I do like, I love Dominic Reyes here, but it's tough for me to bet him at the current odds that he's at. So I'll take Dominic Reyes second round TKO. Uh, unfortunately for Chris Weidman, because who knows what the fuck he'll be able to do after that. Maybe he goes back to 185. Maybe he goes to Bellator. Who the fuck knows? But uh it's kind of unfortunate that he's been forced to move up to 205 because he has no real other options at 185 after taking multiple losses to the top five guys there. Uh, but I do like uh, Dominic Reyes to win here by TKO. Uh, just not confident enough in, to bet it. Nor do I think anybody should uh, if you you know you know if you were forced to bet him over the minus 180ish range. So that's pretty much it for UFC Boston. Like I said, I have four current bets. I'll quickly go over them for you guys right now. I got 2.75 units at plus 102 on Jeremy Stevens. I got 1.5 units at plus 130 for Manny Bermudez to win inside the distance. I have 1.1 units at minus 110 on Jonathan Pierce to win inside the distance over Joe Lozon. And lastly, my lock of the night play, I got 5 units at minus 172 on the under 1.5 for Greg Hardy and Ben Sissoli. That's pretty much a wrap for the lock cast this week. Everything you guys need to know at MMA LOTN on Twitter. That's how you can get a hold of me. You guys can DM me. You guys can fucking hit me up on there. I'm always available to talk to. Um, and then my picks will always be in my pinned tweet uh, as well as on the website at uh, www.mmalotn.ca. Make sure you guys check that shit out. It's all free for now uh, or kind of always has been. Uh, and I shall, I will be back next week, uh, to cover what, what event do we have? I believe it's the Singapore card. Um, yeah, the Singapore card, uh, headlined by Damien Maya and Ben Askren, which should be a very fun, uh, grappling contest. Uh, I see that the odds are currently out as well. So I'll, I'll definitely be looking over that, um, after I wrap up this podcast and see if I can find any spots for myself. So, um, like I said, at MMALOTN on Twitter and the website is MMALOTN.ca. That's it. I'm done. I'm out. Thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Like and subscribe as well. All right. I'm done. Later.